compares with you. Hallelujah. I have a couple of uh, couple of thoughts this morning, just around our offering. I want to read from Philippians chapter two, verse one to five, and it's from the Passion Translation. And this is Paul writing. Look at how much encouragement you've found in your relationship with the Anointed One. You are filled to overflowing with His comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded love. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility. Put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the Anointed One, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. It's a great little passage. <laughs> you know, in verse 1, it's actually talking about the benefit of our relationship with God. Personal benefit of our relationship with God. In verse 2... It's a call to relationship with others. And in verse 3, it's instruction on how to promote relationship. It all comes from that initial relationship with God. has to. Without that, it's nothing else. The benefit of relationship, call to relationship and an instruction on how to promote relationship. It's a wonderful passage. You say, what's that got to do <coughs> with offering? <laughs> it's got everything. <laughs> it's got everything. You know, there's another um, passage I'm going to read from, uh, from Luke. It's um, Jesus talking about a whole lot of things. But in, uh, in what he was saying, there's, there's, the, there's the specific teaching, if you like, or implied teaching of sowing and reaping. What you give out, it's coming back. And he doesn't only use the positive. He said, whatever you sow, that's what's coming back. Whatever it is, because it's a spiritual principle. And uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 37 Jesus says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Doesn't matter what it is, whatever you put out there, that's what's coming back. Multiplied. 
Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you. I think it's interesting that he expands on, uh, on that area. He didn't expand on the judgment or the condemnation but he expand, expanded on the giving. It's a spiritual principle of sowing and reaping. And this is God's promise to us. But Luke 6 verse 38 won't happen in its fullness until Philippians 2 verse 3 to 5 is developed in us. I'm going to read 3 to 5 again. Be free from pride filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts but in authentic humility put others first and view others as more important than yourselves abandon every display of selfishness possess a greater concern for what matters to others <laughs> instead of your <coughs> instead of your own interests and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become our motivation. As we give out of ourselves, whatever that is, as we give out of ourselves for the benefit of others, that comes back to us. Spiritual principle. So possessing a greater concern for what matters to others instead of our own interests has to be pivotal in our relationship with each other. And if that's there, it just allows God to do what he wants to do and what he says he's going to do. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Ah. We've got... Um, We've got a young man speaking this morning. I know him very well. Actually, I've known him since day dot. And so I, I can say with, um, with some authority that he's a, a good young man. So um, come up here, Caleb. And Caleb's going to share for us this morning. Thanks. Thanks, Dad. That's great. <clears throat> you also also stole one of my main verses. <laughs> but I, I don't see that as a that I see that as a very encouraging thing because anyone who's spoken uh, and you know, sees a kind of a theme with what someone else is saying. It's a very encouraging thing to go. All right, I think I think I might be on to the the same thing that God wants to be communicating this morning, um, which is heaps of fun. <laughs> Look, it's going to be a journey this morning. Who's who's ready? <laughs> We're going to go on a journey. Um, relationships. And people 
if you know me, uh, probably one of my highest values is being in, in good relationship with people. And I really believe that that is an area that God's put in me to help build the body. You know, every one of us here values something different and puts things on higher priority levels than everyone else. That is a key part <laughs> of a healthy functioning body. I'm going to d dive into a little bit of uh, perceptions of difference and, and how, how we can partner with God to encourage and facilitate an atmosphere where unity is possible and what, what can stop that. So as I said, it's going to be, it's going to be a journey. <laughs> mm. So I just want to um, rewind time a little bit and just see, take a big picture view of what the global church looks like at the moment because it's come a long way from the book of Acts to now. In a couple of thousand years, we've, we've ended up with roughly 40 to 50 different Christian denominations, <laughs> all with varying levels of difference to one another. And like I said, difference is a really good thing, right? In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 12 to 27, it describes the church as being one body but made up of lots of different members. But the key there is that they're all working together and they all value each other equally and are of equal value to the functioning of the body. That is not so much the picture of our global church today with all of the differences. <clears throat> the problem is that as it stands on the big picture, we're mostly divided and unable to see past each other's differences to be able to value each other. I mean, many wars and conflicts have been between two different denominations, <laughs> supposedly following the same God. So if we compare that, that picture of what the global church looks like today with the instruction that God gave us, and we've already heard a little bit of that this morning, Let's just see what his vision for the church and his instruction around the global body is. In Ephesians 5 and verse 27, it says that Jesus' goal is for the church to be a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. That he's building this church to be presented to himself, a glorious bride. Ephesians 4, verse 4. I'm going to read that one. Ephesians 4, and verse 4, says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That's pretty clear, isn't it? There's one. <laughs> There's not 40 or 50. There's not 
a whole heap, there's one. And we, God has designed his church to be one. So what does that look like? In Ephesians 4 and verse 12, it describes the purpose of the fivefold ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The purpose of those is to equip the saints to edify the body so that we become fully unified as one body, equal in stature with Christ. Wow. Ephesians, uh, let's just read Ephesians 4, starting at 11. This is exactly what it says. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In uh, Philippians 2.2, which our dad's already read, it talks about being of one mind. Now, if we put God's design next to the picture that we see, they look pretty far apart, don't they? It seems that's a nearly impossible distance to cross. How on earth is our global church going to look like that? Wow, that's a big question. That's one that uh, I've spent a little bit of time looking at and a little bit of research <laughs> and uh, looking at what, what might be God's leading in building his church to that picture. So the question is, how is God leading us there? Before looking at that, we should probably address how we got here. How on earth did we get from the book of Acts where great things were happening, uh, the formation of the church and the vision casting to here? Well, lots of things, <laughs> as you would expect over a couple of thousand years. But Paul put it pretty simply when he wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Dad read it out in the Passion, says this, be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness, Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. 
and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset be your motivation. So how did the church get here? By doing exactly the opposite of what the word told us to do, of what Jesus said, of what that (laughs) says. Exactly the opposite. Uh, It's described in Ephesians 4 and verse 14 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's how we got here. That's the picture, uh, for the most part, of the church today. Children tossed to and fro, up and down, this way and that way, by every wind of doctrine, by whatever, whatever someone thinks that sounds good. I reckon uh, being a person uh, and knowing people, that's a classic people move. Classic. When focused on ourselves, you, you give someone a task. Oh, I, I see this in my own life. God gives me a task, and then I go, right. How am I going to do that? See you later, God. I'm going to do what you told me to do. I will achieve this thing. When focused on ourselves and operating in isolation from God, things get real messy really quick. Really, really quick. Christians over the past thousand years or so have come up with the process. We love processes, don't we? Go, there's the goal, how are we going to achieve it? Let's write down the steps, let's just do that. Just tell me what to do, I'll do that. So this is what I think, from my observation, the process that, uh, that has widely been adopted for bringing unity. One, find out the truth. Find it out, study the word, find out the truth, find something that's the truth. Once you've got a good handle on the truth, you know all about that, gather other people who think the same way as you do and believe exactly the same thing about the truth as you, and then spend all of your energy collectively trying to convince everyone else that they're wrong and you're right. Does that sound familiar? I have the correct interpretation. You're wrong. You could join me but you have to agree with what I see. You could be part of my club, but you have to agree with me. And if you question it, you're out. (sighs) Look, we would just be a unified church if everyone could just get with the program and agree with me. (laughs) Isn't that right? (laughs) Isn't that the belief (laughs) that we see so often? (laughs) Look, we just, we, we'd all get along. You just have to agree with the way I see the world. Well, no. It turns out that that's still self-focused. That is still trying to achieve the goal that God gave us without him. <laughs> and that's just not how he designed it to work. So this, this is what I believe stands in the way of unity, or a big, big part of it anyway. It's an inability to stay connected and dedicated to the journey through the challenges, (laughs) specifically challenges with other people. People. (laughs) 
We are in the business, for a lack of a, a better word, the business of people. We are a collective, a community made up of lots of people. And you can guarantee that those people are going to make messes. You can just guarantee it. Wherever there are people, there are messes. People make mistakes. People do silly things. Where there are more people, there's more mess. That's just, that's just the plain fact of life. And you can guarantee the longer that you are connected to someone, the chances of you disconnecting with that person go up. Because nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. If you haven't fallen out with a friend or a family member or had a disagreement uh, that's been a real rift in the relationship, then you probably haven't lived long enough or you probably have just never been close to anyone. Because I think we should all have experienced that, yeah? A few nodding heads, yeah, yeah. But the good thing (laughs) is that that's actually necessary. It is a necessary part of building relationships to be challenged in that relationship. It is a natural part of life to have problems, but then to overcome them. We are designed and led to overcome the challenges that come against us. And that overcoming makes us stronger. It's not the lack of challenge. It's not the lack of problems that is a measure of success. There will always be problems. It is how we overcome them. It is how we reconnect when we disconnect. A a relational connection is often only as strong as the last challenge it overcame. A relational connection is only as strong as the last challenge that it overcame. You can, you can go along in life uh, with, with anybody and, and get along really well and, and have a good time and you, you think the same and you're, 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 um, you're having great conversation and you just enjoy each other's company but you don't know how strong your connection is until there's a disagreement, until there's a problem, until there's a challenge. If you can't get through that, then the connection wasn't very strong. Danny Silk puts it uh, really well, like gives this illustration about a, a tissue, two people holding a tissue and a representation of that tissue being the strength of their connection. If something pulls at the connection, if there's a challenge that comes your way, even if it's a little one, that tissue's going to break and you're going to be disconnected. But if you work at that and build that connection and strengthen it and invest in it, it's like holding a a leather belt. Something pulls, that connection isn't going to break. And even something really hard pulls because life is full of hard things. Lots of hard things. It's not easy. And we need to be prepared, strengthening that, those connections so that when the hard things do come, because they come all the time, we're going to stay connected. <clears throat> so, 
How are we going to form a perfect bride being of one spirit if every time we have a problem with someone, we push them away and create distance? How do you get closer <laughs> if you're forever creating distance? The good news is that there is a way to do these things really well. And it doesn't have to be horrendously scary or terrible. But some people would say, look, Caleb, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God's building his church. Didn't you know that? God's building his church. He'll make it happen. Well, I 100% agree. God is building his church. He is making it happen with people who are willing to let him. <laughs> Can I remind you that you are the church? You are the church. God is building you <laughs> to be part of the church. But he can't do much with someone who is just going to sit back and go, oh, that's not my problem. Oh, <laughs> oh, unity, yeah, that's not my problem. Oh, being connected to people, it's not my problem. God's building his church. <laughs> Come on, let's get, let's get with the program and start asking God how. How are you building your church and how are you building me? What is my part to play in the church? There's a couple of things I want to share with you that have revolutionized the way I interact with people and I believe God is leading us into these realities, these ways of thinking in order to become one body. The first one is my faith is based on God, the person, rather than my understanding of him. My faith is based on God, the person, rather than my understanding of him. This is foundational, foundational point. What is the basis of your faith? What is the basis of your faith? For some people, their Christian walk is based on a list of theological truths rather than the truth himself. The danger with that is once you've, you know, the classic people move, they go, look, I've got a book. I've got the instructions right there. If I just read that and I fully understand that, I've got it, right? That's all I need. God gave me the book. I'll just follow the book. Not quite. Not quite. The danger with working out your theology and then just going, that's it, that's all I'm focusing on, that's all there is, is that if there's one little tiny hole in your theology, if there's only one little mistruth, a, a slightly foggy picture of who God is, and that's challenged or that hole is, someone poked a finger in it, <laughs> Your whole identity as a Christian crumbles. God gave us truth. He is the living word. But it should not and cannot exist without him, without him the person, without his leading. The problem with having the theoretical knowledge the list of frameworks that you are building your truth as a Christian, your identity as a Christian on, 
is that you think you're building it on the rock because you're like, yeah, that's the truth. That's, you know, that's God's word, which, yes, it is. But it is your understanding, your own understanding. And you think you're building it on the rock, but you're building it on sand. They're building it on whatever denomination their denomination says is correct, the correct interpretation of Scripture. They're building it on the exact way in which they believe the world's going to end. They're building it on who they think God's chosen and who he hasn't chosen. And they're immovable in that specific belief. They're building it on religion. You may have uh, seen this situation play out already in history in the book. This is the exact situation that the Pharisees and the Sadducees found themselves in. They could quote every single word in the Torah, God's word. They could quote it all. They knew it back to front, front to back, upside down, and inverted the wrong way. They could recite it all, but they couldn't recognize the author when he was standing right in front of them. They knew it all. There wasn't anything else left to know, or so they thought. They couldn't recognize the author when he stood and he spoke the words. He stood there and he said, this is why I've come. (laughs) Why? How is that possible? Because their faith and their identity was based on their own knowledge and understanding. They were self-focused. It wasn't the truth that was based on. It was their, their selves, their, how good they were at, at, at achieving levels of success that they had predetermined for themselves. When Jesus is our foundation, we're not afraid of being wrong. When Jesus, the truth, the living truth is our foundation, we're not actually afraid of being wrong because correction will lead us closer to him. Correction will clear up our vision of who he is and he is our goal, not the protection of our own understanding or what we think is true. It's him. Is this making sense to anyone? Great. If he is our focus, correction and change will come often and we'll look forward to it. (laughs) It's not always fun being corrected. (laughs) But if your goal is to continually uh, progress closer to God and your experience of him, then correction only helps you do that. All right, the second thing uh, that I believe is going to really help build unity is to seek to understand, not to agree. This is one of my favorites. Just blew my mind when I, when I, <laughs> I learned about this. To, we need to seek to understand, not to agree. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you feel like you're a bit lost for words because you're standing there and you're listening to them and your mind's going, I don't agree with anything you're saying. I, I, I don't know what to say to you. I, 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 
I got nothing. <laughs> I've been in that situation where someone's telling me things and I'm like, Because why? My goal in that situation was to find agreement. My goal in, in people's goal in a lot of conversations is to listen to what the other person is saying and, and find out which parts do I agree about and what can I come back with in affirmation of what they're saying. And when you don't agree with anything someone's saying, you've got nothing to say. You're like, this has been, there's been an underlying belief getting around and it's been keeping the church separated from one another and stunting our growth. This belief is that we can't be close to someone that we don't agree with. Because <laughs> the reality of life is that everybody's different. As I said at the start, everybody values something different as their highest value. And if we come into a uh, interaction with someone, say, I think relationships are the highest value, um, but I'm ignorant of anyone else's value, what anyone else might think is value, valuable or the highest value, value. And I come in and I go, we need to be connected to everyone. We need to, be, we need to protect connection at the expense of everything else. And someone else comes in and, and says, uh, we have to be accurate. We have to be accurate in everything we say and we have to be uh, clear on, on where we're going and we have to be doing it the right way. Those two things could seemingly uh, seem to be in, in competition for what is the most valuable thing in a, in a community of people that are trying to go in the same way, right? The point I'm trying to make is that everybody values something different and that that's okay. That that's actually required if we are going to operate as different parts of the same body, we have to come into uh, every interaction and into building community together with the understanding that I value something and I think it's the most important thing. That be, that's because it's my job to do that thing. And someone else is going to value something else as their most important thing. And that's going to drive them to do that thing. So when, we're, when we see someone who else who doesn't value what we value as much as we do, don't get freaked out. Don't think we've all lost the plot. Don't, don't think we're going in the wrong direction. Everyone seems to be valuing this. <laughs> we need to be going this way. That's the, that's the classic challenge people get into. They go, oh, no, here, no, there. We have all been given a different job to do, and we can actually do that at the same time together. Because if I do what I'm instructed to do and what God's given me to do, what God's put on my heart, and I... I understand that someone's got something different. I'm going to not oppose them when they're bringing their highest value. I'm going to see what God's given, in, given them. I'm going to see the role that God's given them to play. Right. Hmm. That's how many churches and communities run. 
sadly. You can be part of our club so long as you agree with our list of truths and don't you dare question them. As soon as you disagree, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't be friends. <laughs> you can't belong to this community so long as you disagree with me. This belief comes from the same spirit of religion that's keeping the body of Christ separated and isolated. That is the goal of that belief, <laughs> to keep distance, to keep us separate and not working together. The truth is that a healthy community is able to have open discourse about different opinions and thoughts, especially regarding theology, what it says in the Bible. It's so important to be able to speak openly without judgment of what that person's bringing and to come with curiosity instead of our guard up in case someone disagrees with us. In Proverbs 27, 17, it talks about iron sharpening iron. We spoke about this at the men's night, the last men's night. When you picture iron sharpening iron, <laughs> these are my hands are the two bits of iron, right? <laughs> this is not how you sharpen iron. <laughs> That's not how those bits get sharp. It's friction, rubbing against each other that sharpens. Here are a few things that are required for an open discourse, openness of conversation. This is what's required. Our identity is not based on what we believe, but who we believe in, being Jesus. We value the testing of our beliefs in conversation and discussion with others because it either strengthens and confirms them or leads us to correction and clarity and bringing it back to Jesus, who we're following, and, and assessing, going, God, what is truth? Because you are true. What is the truth? Because you are the one who can show me. We enter every conversation with curiosity, seeking to understand the other person instead of seeking agreement. You can take this principle and apply it to every, every area that you find people. <laughs> it's really important in the church, but even outside of the church, once you start, once you stop trying to, uh, or stop thinking that your goal is to bring truth to the world through every single conversation that you have with people. Um, if you've tried that, I'd, I've tried that many times when I was... Um, uh, Thing, time that comes to my memory was at um, Bendigo Senior <laughs> where most of the people I talked with saw the world differently, didn't know Jesus. Um, I took it on as my personal responsibility to identify things that were wrong <laughs> and correct them. And have you, ever have you ever had a conversation with someone who is just wanting to correct everything you say? Sammy's like looking at me going... That's you, Kayla. <laughs> Preaching to myself. <laughs> it's not very fun. If you, you know, someone would tell me, 
oh, I went out on the weekend and I had a real mad party. It was heaps of fun. I was like, well, let me, where do I start with this one? Um, look, your life's heading in the wrong direction. <laughs> Thanks. See you later, weirdo. That's, people aren't receptive. <laughs> when your goal is not to understand them, it's not to value them, it's not to uh, be curious about their life, it's it, <laughs> to correct them, it's not going to work so well. not going to work so well in building connection with people. But when we seek to understand someone, suddenly that person feels valued. Whoa. That person thinks they're listening to me. They care about what my world looks like. They care about what I experience. And it's in that environment, environment that God can drop a little seed of truth into, uh, into your mind to share with them. And it's in that environment that, that you might uncover a core truth that they believe or a core belief that they have that is sending them in a terrible direction and then they may be open to receiving what you've got to say because you first cared, you first listened, you sought to understand them rather than to convince them or agree. If my goal is to reach agreement with someone, then I'll try and correct their thoughts and behaviours. If my goal is to understand them, I'll be able to go deep and they'll feel valuable and heard. The last one I want to touch on this morning is confront and resolve every issue as if our lives depended on it. <laughs> now, as I said, you've got to keep this in mind. This is my highest value, right? I, that does not mean that I was born with the skills to be able to do this. It just means it hurt more when I was disconnected from people. But God has uh, graciously led me on the journey of how, how. <laughs> How to, do, how to do reconnection, how to stay connected with people. Um, and it's, it's been quite the wild journey. But the, the goal that we have to have if we want to stay connected with people is to confront and resolve every issue, <laughs> every single one, all of them. Because if... Any issue exists, it doesn't go away, right? Let me, let me expand on this thought. <clears throat> As I said earlier, you can guarantee that the closer you get to people, the more problems you'll encounter with them and the more disconnection you'll be confronted with, potential disconnection. With the close relationships in our lives and especially within the church, connection has to be our goal because that's what provides the atmosphere for unity. That's what provides, uh, that, that's what brings connection, closer connection, the opposite of distance. Say you hear someone's gossiping about you behind your back. That's a mess, right? That's no good. 
someone excludes you from a community event uh, that all your other friends are going to, that hurts. And now you feel disconnected from them. The list is very, very long of the potential things that could disconnect people. It's a very, very long list. It's probably never-ending. These kind of things are going to happen. (laughs) I hate to break it to you, but they're not going to stop happening because people make messes, intentionally or otherwise. What you've got to ask yourself is, what are you going to do about them? How are we going to deal with them? There are a lot of different coping mechanisms. Some of these are fun. They might uh, hit close to home, but bear with me. Um, You might be one of those people who ignore the problem and treat it like it didn't happen. Well, what happens often is that that issue, while you're walking around not looking at it, starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it's the big, bright, pink elephant in the room. And this issue that you've got with this person, while you're trying not to look at it, (laughs) you get into the room with that person and it's kind of all you can see now and you can't unsee it. And the other person knows there's an issue and you know there's an issue, but you're like, no, 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 it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. What's going to end up happening is that every time you encounter that person, that you've had the issue with, that you're trying to forget, that is all that you will see and you will not be able to handle being in the same room as that person. Or maybe you like to sweep the problems under the rug. You've got this uh, special problems cupboard. And uh, if you can't see it, it doesn't exist, similar to the last one. You keep doing that for long enough. That cupboard, or that rug, (laughs) won't be able to hold all of the problems that you've put in there. Sooner or later, something's going to snap. Something's going to break. It's all going to come rushing out all at once. Or maybe that you've got special access to the sea of forgetfulness. (laughs) That's a very, very critical place, uh, the sea of forgetfulness. You think you can walk up and drop all your unresolved people problems in there, and they're just gone. They You've got voluntary amnesia. You go, if I go over there, I'm going to get my problem, I'm going to drop it off, and then I'm going to walk away. And what ends up happening is that as you're walking away, you don't know, but there's this big pile of rubbish that's following you everywhere, like attached to strings on your ankle. You didn't realize that when you threw it in there, it was still attached to you. It doesn't, it's not going to disappear. An unresolved problem doesn't go away. (laughs) Time may mean that you kind of, it doesn't hurt as much and it's not as present. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there are two types of problems in the world that you will ever experience. A resolved problem and an unresolved problem. God did a really good job of reconciling us to himself. There was a really big problem, and it was called sin. We were disconnected from him, and he resolved the problem. He confronted the problem head on, 
paid the price for reconnection to be possible. But even then, even when Jesus himself dedicated his life to resolving, resolving that problem, we're still not automatically reconnected with him. You think, how? Wow, what? He is God, all-powerful. Yes, he paid the price. He did everything that needed to be done except for our choice to receive it. He left that one up to us. There is always two parts, two parties in a problem. Hmm. We still had to choose to acknowledge that the the problem of sin existed, receive his forgiveness, and welcome him into our hearts. That's how God reconnected with us, but it's uh, it's often, that can be a little bit of a uh, uh, setting yourself up to uh, uh, fail there if you try and do that exactly uh, with other people. God is very good at reconnecting. He's very good. He knows what he's doing. We, unfortunately, often don't know what we're doing. But thank the Lord he gave us some good instructions. There are, I mean, we're going to get into some uh, wonderful instructions in the book, but there are countless, countless books (laughs) written on the subject of dealing with people uh, and reconnecting on the subject of learning how to do that well. And can I just encourage you now, it's a lifelong journey. And you, my experience is that I just keep finding problems that I haven't encountered before. And often I don't really know what to do about them. But... I'm talking about the church specifically this morning, and Jesus gave us some instructions, some really clear instructions on what to do with people we have problems with inside the church. So I'm not going to... Look, if we would be here forever, if I... I And I'd run out of things to say, to be honest, on this subject. Um, If I was going to be talking about how, how... The how to reconnect with everyone that you have a problem with. That needs to be your own learning journey. But the one thing that I want to pull out this morning is how to deal with a problem that you have with someone in the church community. Righto, let's open up the book to Matthew. Matthew. 18. And we'll start... At verse 15. It says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. 
But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, this, this, uh, this is great. This is really good. I love this. <laughs> the question is, uh, what, does, what is God's design for what that looks like? <laughs> because we can come to this and go, righto, I got this. If my brother sins against me, if he does something to hurt me, I go over and I say, mate, you're wrong. <laughs> You've done this. Own it. That's generally the first, first picture you get in your mind, right? Well, that, uh, if you've ever tried that, um, you might know that going to someone with the way that they've hurt you and demanding <laughs> that they care about that doesn't really work too well. It is in the how you go to them, right? It, the key is in uh, the second part, the second sentence of verse 15, Matthew 18, 15. It says, why don't you go and, and tell, tell uh, your fault between you and, and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. How will you go to that person if your goal is to gain back that connection, gain back that relationship? There's uh, the, the first way I described going to that person and dealing with the problem. Uh, you'd have a hard time convincing them that your goal is to reconnect with them and to restore relationship. It sounds very attacky. <laughs> and that's not going to end in reconnection. If your goal is to reconnect with someone that you have an issue with, if our goal, as I said, is to confront and resolve every issue as if our lives depended on it, resolve every issue to bring that person closer, the goal is understanding. You want to uh, come to that person and go, hey, there's a problem. There's something you've done that's hurt me. I want to resolve it so that we can restore our relationship, so that we can be close again. And that requires a bit of vulnerability. Let me just say, none of this is easy. And uh, to be honest, it's probably harder than just putting it in the cupboard, dropping it in the sea of forgetfulness, or pretending it didn't happen. That is generally, short-term, much easier. But what I want to ask you is, what is the cost to the body of you doing that? Sure, it's easier for you, and you don't have to be as vulnerable. There's less risk of you being hurt even more. That's true. But what is the cost to what God is building if you do not? resolve that problem because it will exist it will create distance and that is the opposite of what God is building that is the opposite of a unified church Matthew 18 18 to 20 
18, verse 18 says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. This is what is at stake. (laughs) This connection, that's what's possible when we're connected. With all of our differences, having a value for each other and for working together and resolving conflicts instead of ignoring them or pushing them away, unity is such a powerful thing. God's design for the church, whoa, it's powerful. It is amazing. For those of you who think that maybe it's just, look, it's all just a bit hard, it's out of my comfort zone, I can guarantee you it will be out of nearly everyone's comfort zone to reconnect with another person. I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself what I just said. What is the cost to the body of Christ if you decide not to reconnect with someone. You'll survive, life will go on, but what will you have cost the church? You, you have a choice. In every problem that con- confronts and comes your way, you have a choice. Are you going to partner with God as he builds his church, his unified church, or are you going to partner with the enemy as he keeps it divided? That sounds pretty, pretty harsh. Oh, that's a bit unfair. Well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. We're in a community, as I said at the start, we're a collective of people. And if we aren't dedicated to learning how and trying until we succeed to reconnect, then I don't know how we're going to get there. Now, as I said earlier, this, this, is a, this can be a Pandora's box right, for people. And I encourage you to... Uh, there may be some, some relational disconnections or some situations that are coming to your mind that, that Holy Spirit's pressing on your heart. Equip yourself before you try. <laughs> it's like anything. Connecting and reconnecting with people is something that you can get better at. It's something that you can learn how to do. <laughs> and uh, please... Be wise. <laughs> Please be wise. And I just want to knock the other thought that may be floating around on the head that there are situations where the person you've disconnected with doesn't exist anymore. They've, they must, might have passed away. There may be situations where that person is, there is no way. You've tried and tried and tried and there's no way you're reconnecting with, him, with them. God has grace for us. And he is the resolver, the ultimate resolver of problems. So all is not lost if you cannot reconnect with this person, right? But that has to, nevertheless, that should still be our goal. So um, another sobering thought, just to close with, is I want you to ask yourself, are you going to face the Father? at the end of your days, and say, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, I couldn't be bothered. 
Are you going to stand face to face with the one who gave it all to reconnect with you and say, it was too hard for me to reconnect with that person? It hurt too much for me to do that. That's a pretty sobering thought. But I want to bring this a message, uh, believe me, as an encouragement to you to step out in this direction. You may be a long, long way, long, long way from uh, your uh, imagining you being able to reconnect with people well, but it is, can I just say it's so good? When you work through a problem with someone, I do this every day with Sammy, <laughs> you know, wherever we have a problem. It's a reconnection opportunity, right? And reconnecting is the best and most fulfilling thing in a relationship. So I want to leave you with a direction of something you could do, something you could do to start on this epic journey. And it is an epic journey. Um, I, I had, as I said earlier, I wasn't born with skills. I value it, um, but... Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about relationships. No, I, I only knew what I saw, right? As, as um, you know, kids growing up, they only, they see and they learn. And I was severely under-equipped, severely under-equipped to connect, to love on people and do that really well. This is where it started for me. This is, I've just taken these from the shelf right over there. Resources are right there. Um, this is Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. If you haven't read this, this is your starting point. Who has read this? Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. And that's, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if, It's a continual journey, and don't expect that you're going to read this book and you'll be a legend. <laughs> Reconnecting. It, is, it takes a dedicated uh, effort and continual effort to continue to learn. But this is where I encourage you to start. Hire this out from the, from the library. Read it. It'll set you on a path to being uh, connected with people and being a lot happier because there's a lot of people in our lives. Yeah, Keep Your Love On. It is called Keep Your Love On, and it's by Danny Silk. The other one, uh, just quickly, is Culture of Honour. That is also, there are a few copies of that on the shelf. That's also from Danny. Um, and this, it goes into a lot, a lot more detail than what is possible in a sermon, in a message on a Sunday morning. Um, but can I encourage you, get these two, borrow them out, read them, embark on the journey, because it's worth it. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your leading. Father, I thank you that you're a gracious God. And Lord, you set the example for us to follow and you gave us the instructions, but you gave us yourself, Lord. That we are not designed to do anything apart from you, God. Lord, I just ask that you help us. Help us to be brave. Help us to be vulnerable, but also help us to have wisdom and to follow your leading God. 
Thank you, Father, for everyone here and for all the hearts that may have been, that you may have spoken a word to or put something on their heart. Lord, I just ask that you help them with that throughout their week and moving out of this place this morning. Lord, give them the grace to do what they need to do and show them where, to, where they are able to equip themselves, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thanks, Jenny. I'd like to pass it over to Rhoda, who's going to bring a communion message. So as she's coming up, why don't you grab a, a cup if you haven't got one? was so good Caleb very challenging um, I just want to um, I quite often read Psalm 91 and um, I was reading it in the message so I just want to read Psalm 91 in the message you who sit in the high God's presence spend the night in El Shaddai's shadow say this God, you're my refuge. I trust in you and I am safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outreach arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear not, not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon, even though others succumb all around you, drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. You'll stand untouched, watch it from a far distance, watch the wicked turn into corpses. Yes, because God's your refuge, the high God, your very own home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He orders his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, he'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from your path. If you hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll keep you out of any trouble I'll give you the best of care if you'll keep to know and trust me. Keep me, oh sorry, call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. I'll give you long life, give you a long drink of salvation. Isn't that so good? I was so encouraged when I read that. Um, just God's got us totally protected in every area we're going. And through, as Caleb was saying, he took the situation head on and um, took himself to die on the cross for each one of us. And this is our protection. I love reading Psalm 91. It's just, and to hear, you know, the angels are there guarding us, protecting us. Um, they can't touch us, no fear, we don't need to fear anything. He's shielding us, he's rescuing us. So God is our refuge, he is our strength. So would you like to stand?
Lord, we just thank you for the protection that you have over all one of us. Lord, we thank you that you um, called David to write Psalm 91. Lord, that that protection is roundabouts. Lord, that, that no one can harm us. Lord, no disease, no nothing can harm us. Lord, that you've given us that strong protection right around us. Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for the cross. Thank you, Lord. Let's partake. Thank you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. We can trust and know you, Lord. That's what you called us all to do, is to know you and trust in you. And we're going to have a long life. Thank you, Lord. Let's drink. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, that's our um, that is our morning this morning. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Rhoda. Some things to think about, some things to take away and, and do something with. Yeah. God will build his church, but we are co-laborers with Christ. So we've got a part in that. So, this week um, we have a prayer meeting here on Wednesday, 7.30, um, and uh, men's uh, ministry, men's group, is on Thursday in Buckley Street, number number 35, Buckley Street. I know how to get there, just don't know the number. <laughs> um, so, that's very good. And um, the website's up and going and there's things Sammy's putting things on there so um, have a visit have a look at the website and see what uh, what is happening on there, there's some good um, good things there um, there is access to messages on there yes there is so if you've missed a, a message you can uh, you can yeah, have access to different ones on there so Lord bless you really good. Enjoy the rest of your day. Keep warm. Find a warm place. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we shall see you again.